Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Niner, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. It's a fascinating section that we're getting into here in Matthew chapter 6, and really addressing the issue or asking the question, what motivates you to do uh, your righteousness? What motivates you uh, to, to, what motivates us just period, to be here on a morning like this? What, what motivates you in your religious pursuits and your righteous pursuits of, of God himself? What motivates us? Is it just obligation? When we do right things, if it is just obligation, this is what we ought to do, therefore we are going to do it. If it is just obligation, does that bring joy uh, either to the one performing the duty or to the one that we've performed the duty for? If it's purely just obligation, we ought to do this, and so we do it. There's no real joy in us in the performing of it, and there's no real joy in the one who has asked us or who has commanded us to do such a thing. And we can give an easy illustration. Those of us who've raised kids or been around kids, um, you all have experienced the, uh, the moment where you have a task you want your child to perform. Maybe it's just as simple as clearing the plates from the table. Hey, you know, we've all had supper. Can you clear the plates? And all you want is just to take them from it. You're not asking them to wash them or do anything fancy. Don't even wipe the table down. Just carry them from the table to the sink. And then, you know, of course, the head drops. You know, we can do the whole kid. You know, the arms get droopy like this. They walk, they walk over like this. They grab an armful of plates. They mope over to the table or to the sink, throw them in there. And they kind of hold their shoulders slump, walk back. There, you happy? You know, that sort of thing. That never, I've never happened to my house. I'm just saying that is not an accusation of my kids. I've seen it on TV. I've seen things like this happen. Cleaning your room, things of such nature. You know, and you say, pick up the room, and they go and, and they stop off after you've told them 10 times, and they throw stuff everywhere, you know, and, and they come back out. There, my floor is picked up. Are you happy? Washing, you know, anything you want them to do, wash windows or something, you know, any task. If, if the motive is just purely obligation, they aren't happy in the doing of the task. And when they come back, I mean, you're kind of happy that the, the dishes got to the sink, I guess. But there isn't, you know, we all know the difference between a kid who then has been trained that this helps us out to do the dishes, gladly just grabs the plates and walks them over to the sink because they want to help out as a family. Like, there's joy in that, right? Like the husband who comes home and I... 
it's sad. Guys never say this, but I've heard this from grown men who will say things like when their marriages is getting in, you know, on the rocks or whatever, will say, well, I go out and I work real hard and I make the money and I come home and is that not enough? No, is the answer to that question. That is, that is not enough. I mean, doing things out of pure obligation, like I, this is something I needed to do, I've done it, now you should be happy. When there's so much more involved in the love of doing such an activity, the obligation that is there, but the gladness in doing it, and then it produces gladness in the one that you've done it for. The driving force behind all of your doing, all of your activity, the driving force behind it, it matters. It matters. The big idea, really, for this kind of whole section is that your Father in Heaven sees everything. Live accordingly. Your Father in Heaven sees everything. Live accordingly. And when I say everything, I don't mean just the outward performances that we put on. He sees into the heart. He sees it all. He sees what's in secret. Live accordingly. Now that is both, uh, like, like, uh, it is both ominous. <laughs> he sees everything. Live accordingly. But we're also going to see that is wonderful and beautiful. That he sees in secret and therefore live accordingly. But we'll get there. So last week, as I said, we looked at verse 48 at the end of chapter 5 as kind of an introductory verse into, into, verse, into chapter 6. But actually, verse 1 is another sort of like summary statement of these three pious acts or religious piety of, of, uh, of giving to the needy, the giving of alms, the saying your prayers and fasting. Verse 1 is an introduction to really the whole idea where Jesus warns his, the kingdom people to beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Why? Because you already have your reward in practicing it in front of other people. You've got the acclaim. You've got, oh, wow, look at this person. So righteous. They pat, you get the pats on the back or whatever. That's your reward. And so there's this there's this warning leading into this whole section. Jesus is continually pushing into this reality. It's from chapter 5 on into chapter 6. He's pushing on this reality that the king's people, they live differently, certainly. I mean, that's a bare minimum, that our lives uh, are lived differently. We want to live righteously. We want to love our neighbor and not hate them. We want to pray for those who persecute us. We want to not retaliate, which is our natural worldly instinct that everyone in the world lives with. The idea that you hurt me, I hurt you back. And so we are called to live differently as kingdom people. But Jesus continues the push that it is not just enough to live differently, but Jesus is after our hearts. That difference that, that manifests in our lives is to flow naturally out of somewhere else inside of us. We, it is to flow out of truly changed people. They have become salt and light in the world. They've had their minds changed regarding what it means to be blessed. They do not just play act the roles, hypocrisy. They aren't, they aren't hypocrites just play acting the roles that they think will please God 
because they have truly become the king's people and they seek to please the king from the heart. One thing to notice, Jesus here does not condemn or does not recommend the cessation of all religious activity. It isn't like, you know, don't let you give me nothing alms, don't let it be for men. The best way to do that is just don't give at all. <laughs> the best way to keep your giving free from hypocrisy is just to not give. The best way to keep your prayers away from being hypocritical, just don't offer them. The best way to keep your fasting from being hypocritical, just don't ever fast. Don't ever go without for the sake of pursuing God. That's not the avenue Jesus takes, right? He doesn't say just stop all this religious activity. No, in fact, it's a given. I mean, you this word, when, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, Jesus is there assumed realities in the lives of kingdom people. That we will be generous with our lives. We will be in prayer, communing with God daily. We will be fasting doing without in order to have more of Jesus, to be drawn nearer to him, to buffet and discipline our lives. It is a given that this is what will mark the lives of the king's people. So when we started Missio back over in the ROA all those many, many moons ago, uh, about six or seven moons ago, uh, when we started, we went the series through right, uh, our mission statement, our core values, and our discipleship outcomes. And those five outcomes, by way of reminder, are communing with God, so communing with God daily, walking by the Spirit, sharing God's grace, which is part of your grace story, serving with your spiritual gifts, and lastly, stewarding life generously. That last outcome, stewarding life generously, is one of the measurements we can look at to see God's work in our life. There's a given among God's people that they will be generous and will seek to care for the needy around them. It is a general reality of the stewarding of all of life generously. We ought to be, we're using money, and Jesus is using money here. I think there's good reason why. It's kind of an undeniable reality in your life. We ought to be stewarding all of our lives, giving of our time, giving of our energy, giving of our compassion, giving our ears uh, to listen to those who are to care for the needy. But you know where it's really easy to tell if that's actually happening or not is by looking at what, you, what you're giving is. Where, where does your money lie? It's, it's a real measurable way to tell if what we have is his, our attitude toward our money. So the outcome is titled Stewarding Life generously for a reason stewarding life generously it isn't giving our lives generously it is stewarding and there's this understanding that our lives already are not our own in a, in a first corinthians chapter 5 verse or chapter 6 verse 20 way we are not our own but we have been bought with a price my life is not my own. And so then when it, when, when it comes to the posture of my life, it really isn't like I'm going to be, oh, I'm, so, I'm going to give this area of my life to Jesus or whatever. It's my life isn't mine. I, I, all that I have is what's been given from him. Therefore, the obligation is upon me to steward what's really God's. <laughs> my life isn't my own. It's his. 
And therefore, my responsibility is to steward it, to watch over it, to, to pastor it, if you will, to watch over it faithfully, steward, stewarding life generously. If you are one of the king's people, there is no area of your life that is not his. Your occupation really is his. It's, it's his gift to you. Your, your marriage, your relationships, your parenting, your job, your profession, where he's placed you in Ringgold County, all of this is not by accident. He has appointed the times and seasons of our lives. This is all given by God, and his providence worked out. All of us in this room together, by no mistake, by God's sovereign hand of providence. This life, this church, this, this, this is not, we are not our own. We belong to him. Therefore, the calling is for us to steward it faithfully. None of it is solely ours. It's his. And it is our opportunity, it's actually our privilege, to steward what he has given us faithfully. It is his. This includes every resource that he has put into our hands. So that the king's people will be devoted with their resources to give, even sacrificially, for the good of others, it's pretty clear in the text. But Jesus goes farther, right? He's upping the ante all that. I mean, there is just a basic reality that if you are one of the king's people, then you steward your life generously. You give to the needy. That your money, your time, your energy, your life is not your own. And so you invest it for the kingdom. That is clear. But Jesus pushes harder. This is not just now, okay, I get the text. Darren, tell me what percentage. Or tell me how much is enough. Like, give me the obligation. I'll meet it. And then I can move on and go on with my life. That, this is, that, that is missing. Jesus is going to push deeper than that. This is not just meeting the minimum quota. This is stewarding all of life for him. Because every dollar in your bank account, in a very real way, is not yours. It's his. It is what he, through his hand of providence, has allowed to come into your life. And it's your, now as the king's people, not even our own people, it is our responsibility to steward it faithfully. So that, that the king's people will be devoted with their resources to give is pretty clear. But Jesus pushes farther. He is not after the mere cutting of a check from his people. Jesus cares about the heart motivation behind the activity of his people. Like, I don't want you to walk away and think, okay, well, now we know we got the right. We should give money to the needy, to wherever, to the church, whatever it may be. Then you've missed the whole point. Although we do have the offering basket up here. We do, we do encourage, like, the church does need the money to, to run, and we do hopefully doing good things with it. But if, if that's where you land and walk away from, you've missed, I've done a terrible job. You've missed the point. Jesus is after something far more. He does this. We know that this is what he's after because because of where he goes with this warning. He does this by way of warning of a false action, advising right action, and then revealing right motive. He gives a warning, don't do it like this. Instead, do it like this, all of it for this reason, right? He does this over and over again. Don't do it this way, here's the wrong action. Do it this way, here's the right action, and here's the motive underneath it all. So we see the wrong action is, is this loud announcement. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Now, 
I've, of the commentaries, I found them divided, like on what they really thought this was. Like it's possible we hear that and we think, oh, marching band, right? So somebody, you would hire somebody. Anybody play the trumpet in here? Nobody plays the trumpet. We need IDs. You play the trumpet. You play the trumpet? Okay. Like this air trumpet? Air trumpet? Okay. It's like you'd hire somebody to come along and say, well, I'm going to give an offering. So I need to hire someone to go in front of me to play the trumpet so that everyone, like, what in the world's going on? They come outside, look to see, and, oh, by the way, oh, this is convenient. I'm putting my offering in the basket. <laughs> you notice. Sorry, you caught me. That sort of thing. Because they're blow they want everyone to see. Then they put on a parade. Don't you see how generous I am? That's one uh one aspect possibly of letting a trumpet being blown. Of course, we've got a shofar or something, I suppose, at this time. The other is that uh, what the giving boxes would have they would have had possibly around in the synagogues in various places would have been a chest that had a trumpet-shaped like offering thing so that you could throw coins in and it would go in easily or whatever your offering is. It would go in easily, but then thieves couldn't reach in and steal it out because it gets narrower and narrower as it goes down. So it's a trumpet bell. And so, like, the idea would be don't sound the trumpet when you give. So you go with your coin, and you ding, 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 ding. You, you make sure everyone, like a dinner bell, oh, hi, how's it going? Just putting my offering in the plate over here, right? That, like, oh, you just you caught me sort of thing. Like, you're doing your righteousness to be seen by other people. Jesus is saying that's, that's, that's the wrong motive. You've already received your reward. You caught me giving. <laughs> Uh, that's my reward is one other person or a few of the people get to think I'm great because I've done my giving. He's using hyperbole to make a point that when the king's people do their good deeds, there's to be this disconnect almost from the deeds such that they have no desire to make a, a big deal about it. He says this hyperbole, hyperbole of only your left hand, instead of ringing the trumpet or sounding a trumpet, your left hand shouldn't even know what your right hand is doing. Now, this is not the Christian case for lobotomies. Like, we're going to suddenly cut our brains in half so that our left hand can do what our right hand doesn't know. That's, that's not what you, It's hyperbole. It's like there's supposed to be this divided interest that I want, I'm doing the right thing, but, I, but it's like it's almost, it's, it's second nature. It's not even something I'm thinking about. It's like, like sitting around breathing. How many of you have thought to breathe in this room this morning? You are now, because <laughs> I mentioned it. But you just come, you, it's just part of what you do. You're, 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 you're not, you know, your lungs and your brain aren't connected at that level. It's just, it's just a function that is happening. And so you're giving, not, only your, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's just, it just exudes of who you are. I give to the needy. This is who my king is. This is what he's called for me. This is how he's given to me. Therefore, I turn and give. My left hand doesn't even know what my right hand is doing. It's just who I am as one of the king's people. There's this false action. The opposite behavior is, is, uh, is forgetting about almost never making a big deal, almost not even really remembering that you have done this good deed. That is the right action. It becomes this reality of this is just who I am. This is just what I do because it's not mine and I seek to give God honor with all that I have. So there's false action, there's right action, and then underneath it all we see this right motive, right? Don't give us the hypocrites. Left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Wrong action, right action. Reward a reasoning motive underneath it. 
and your father, end of verse 4, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now look, you got your Bibles out, look at verse 6, look at the end of verse 6, it says this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jump down to verse 18, look at the end of that verse, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a repeated theme here, right? This is one of our things we try to train ourselves to see. What's being repeated? What's the emphasis? Well, Jesus in this teaching, he's emphasizing over and over again something big. Not, it's not giving three times. It's not praying three times. It's not fasting three times. But this thing is said all three times. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus wants this to stick in our heads. When, when you're communicating... Uh, by speaking, repetition is, is key. If you want you to learn something, if you're writing a book, you don't repeat yourself because that's wasting words. That's already been said. But if you're speaking, re repetition, repetition, repeating yourself so that people will hear. Jesus repeats this. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. What's the motive underneath it? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus highlights a different motive. So often, if there's to be not the false action and the right action, uh, it's, it's important that we get to the motive because the main difference between these two actions is really the motive underneath. You can't separate and tell the difference between the two in so many ways, except for the loud, obnoxious giving. You can kind of tell that, the difference between those two. But really, the motive is what drives that, how you can tell them apart. In our natural state, we're usually driven by one of two motives. Either the praise of men, which is the ringing of the, of the trumpet, or the pride of self-congratulations. It's either the praise of men, so that you all will see me, or so that when I go home, I can feel like, hey, look at me, look what I did. There's a pride element of it, pride of self-congratulations. But I want to make sure my left hand knows what my right hand is doing, so that when I go home, I can feel good about all that I've given, all that I've done. Those are generally our two sinful motives, but Jesus brings forth a different motive. It is that our Father who sees in secret will reward us. He sees in secret. Everything you do, none of it is missed by him. None of it. He sees everything. There's a terrifying side of this for sure. Because it means everything that goes on in our lives, he knows about. And well, and often there is there is no sin that you commit that anyone commits that will that will ever be overlooked, and that's often the emphasis. And it's a right emphasis. There's the reality that there the sin that lies hidden deep within your heart that no one can see, that no one knows anything about. Jesus sees it, God sees it, and it needs to be dealt with. It, it, it cannot be hidden. There's a a sobering side to the truth that God sees everything. And it ought to be felt. There's also an incredibly comforting side. And an incredibly assuring side to this truth that the Father who sees everything in secret. There is no sacrifice that is done for him that will ever be overlooked. There is no giving to him that God will be like, oh, I didn't even know that even happened. There is no... There is no um, Lack of retaliation. So someone does something terribly mean to you and 
and you decide I'm taking that to the grave. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Uh, there's no there's no good served in me running this person down. I'm going to forgive them and move on, and no one's ever going to know that wrong happened. Not true. Father sees it. And when you don't retaliate and you love people instead of repaying evil for evil, he absolutely sees it. If you endure hard relationships, if you give mercy instead of retaliating, if you there is no good deed done for his sake that he will ever miss, that he will ever not notice. You know, that people talk about being seen, right? It's a, big, it's a big phrase in our culture. Being seen, being known. The Father sees you. He sees you. I mean, I, I, there's a part of me, I don't want to get all weepy up here, but there's a part of me that there's power in that, that when, you, um, when you've turned the cheek and no one noticed that you did it, he notices. He sees it. When you sacrifice, when you give up on something, that could have been a great thing for you, maybe, and you, you're, you know, what you turn a, you turn a, a away from uh, some, whatever great gain in this world to serve him, and no one knows about it. He sees it. When you're persevering with a broken heart, and no one else really knows what's going on, he sees it. He sees it. When you persevere in the face of difficulty, in the face of sorrow, in the midst of trials, when your heart is broken and you want to give up, he sees it. And you persevere when you trust him, when there are scary things in front of you and no one really, the things in your head going on and you, and you continue in the faith and you trust him and you give your life to him and no one's around congratulating you and thanking you and, oh, you're amazing. He sees it. He sees it. When you are forgiving and seeking to serve, none of it escapes his notice. There's a Latin term for this, quorum deo. It means before the face of God. The king's people ought to live quorum deo, before the face of God, because they truly are. This causes us to take the killing of sin seriously because he sees it all. And it encourages our obedience, knowing that, knowing that nothing done for Jesus is ever in vain. You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, Scripture tells us. So finishing up this text, though, he sees and he rewards. He does not, it does not ruin our actions by looking forward to the reward we will receive as a result of them. Not when the reward is the receiving of God himself. There's an appropriate consummation. It isn't like, oh, that's just giving to get back. There's, there's an appropriate consummation to giving, to sacrifice, to, to, to giving to him. There is an appropriate reward when the consummation is God himself. The reward is the appropriate consummation of our joy in him. So how do we get to this kind of joy in Jesus? Just lastly, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice this descriptor for God. Father. It's just come on the scene here in the Gospel of Matthew. Right there at the end of chapter 5, your Father, or be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And now all of a sudden, Jesus brings in this language, Father. What else has said each time in those statements? 
your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's something special going on here. This Using this term father, Jesus is opening up the beauties of the gospel to his people. In the Beatitudes, the blessing is to see God, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's this blessing of seeing God or having his kingdom, and those are all good, amazing, great blessings. But Jesus is going almost further up and further in by saying, not only do they see God, not only do they see the kingdom of heaven, but they have a Father who is in heaven. Your Father who sees everything in secret, he will reward you. Jesus is telling his kingdom people that the God who is rewarding them is actually their father. They are a part of the family of God. What can produce such incredible charity in kingdom people? What can produce a charity that comes not from mere obligation, but from the joy and the act of doing the charity? Not a joy that comes from being recognized by the world or a joy that comes from self-congratulation. What produces that is the knowledge of being brought into something far greater and far more rewarding than we thought possible. Not only are we given the blessing of seeing God, the blessing of getting to see and be a part of his kingdom, we are brought into his family. We are adopted into the, we are made sons and daughters of God through the work of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ lived the righteous life we should have lived, died the death that we deserve on the cross, rising from the grave three days later in victory over sin and death so that everyone, turning from their sin, turning from their self-praise, their self-congratulations, turning from self and sin, and turning to him could be forgiven of that sin, made righteous in his sight, adopted into his family, made one of his own, forever secured to him. What motive is big enough to keep you from doing it for praise of man or to keep you from self-congratulation? It is the motive that I am his. God is my father. He has rescued me. He has bought me out, transferred me out of death into life. He has made me his own child. I have been adopted into the very family of God. This section, it has the general theme of practicing the disciplines of faithful stewardship of your resources, giving generously to the needy, but it is more. It is about your seeing of Jesus for who he is, the one who has secured your adoption into the family of God, and how that transforms everything. Transforms everything. In our desire to live righteously and to give purely, the foundational necessity is that we see God and his gospel for the good news that it is. That the motive would get big enough to produce a rejection of the wrong way, a living of the right way, because the motive underneath it all is big enough to support it. That God, our Father, who sees the secret, will reward us with himself through the gospel. Let's pray. God, I do ask that you would just plant this anchor in our hearts. God, make it big. God, I want this to be the, the gravitational, I want the, 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 the 
when we talk about a gravity well, once you pass that event horizon, the gravity of the black hole is so strong you can't get out of it. Father, I pray that this, this gospel good news would get so large, pull so much weight in our hearts, that, Father, everything in our lives is anchored back to this grand truth that you are the God who loves your people, who sent your son to save them from their sins, to make them a part of your own family, to secure them to yourself for all eternity so that they now, with the rest that we now, with the rest of our lives, live not for ourselves, but for you, for the one who died and rose for us. God, make that gospel big in our hearts as we seek to love you, live for you, and honor you with all that we have. I pray these things in Jesus' name.